Hi, Tony. What was your first Hello World? Or what was your first computer and then, you know, your Hello World? Okay, my first computer uh, was uh, uh, Schneider CPC 464. Um, that's in the rest of the world. It's Amstrad. But oh, okay. uh, that was uh, that was a small company, Schneider, in um, in Turkheim, where my father comes from, and we had connections to the management, so we would I would get it uh, I would get it cheaper. Okay. Problem was it was not Commodore C sixty four, so we did not have uh, many games. But, but <laughs> was the CPC um, compatible with ZX Spectrum? No. No. Okay. Because uh, oh. I had uh, ZX Spectrum and it became Amstrad in one point, point of time. So Amstrad really? bought ah, okay. Sinclair. Sinclair. And, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So this is how I started. So I always heard about C uh, CPC uh, Schneider and I never know uh, actually knew what, what it actually is. But it, it, if yeah, it was... It, yeah. yeah, okay. That and, was the old Amstrad. But it was not my first Hello World. The first Hello World was, um, I think, when uh, in, in the hospital. Uh, where my father worked, they had a computer, and I was really interested. So I went there, and I uh, I learned programming there. They had this basic manual, and uh, I learned programming there. And later, when I had my Schneider, I would uh, definitely program there. But in the beginning, it was the hospital computer. And, and why you did it? I mean, why you went to hospital to learn programming? This is, uh, I mean, how how old were you back then? I guess twelve. Okay. Something and, like that. And why you learned programming? I f it was amazing. You could teach a machine to do something, to print Hello World or Hello Tony or something like that. Yeah, but <laughs> if you write you know, just... on, a, on a sheet of paper Hello World, you have the same impact, you know? Yeah, but it's a screen. I was always amazed or interested in machines uh, that would do something. You press a button, something happens. And I would like to... I wanted to find out how this works and how I can make it do that. Hey, cool. But how you got the inspiration? So I know you had you had to know that, I don't know, computers are cool or you can do something with it. Was it caused by a movie or, you know? Ah, uh, no, no. I, I actually, I don't know. But uh, I was always fascinated by by technique, by machines. Hey. But, but uh, if it was, it was no specific movie or something like that. That I mean, I, I watched these movies like uh, War Games was a, was a brilliant movie uh, that was really interesting about artificial intelligence and stuff like that. And uh, I would watch anything with a computer in it, but uh, it was not what inspired me originally to um, to start programming. So you basically at one point it was yeah at one point it was uh, programming games definitely okay, when so I was thirteen fourteen games that was it cool so you ask your father to uh, allow you to hack around on a hospital computer to learn programming right yeah right <laughs> okay okay so instead of you know uh, caring about the patients you deactivated the whole server and you took over and I probably yeah <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, cool. there was back there was back that time you know when you uh when you get these magazines and the magazines had the listings and you could uh, um you could type the listings into the computer and it would be uh, you would play a little game and i remember there was a skiing game it was with ascii uh ascii graphics and uh i i i typed that listing into the hospital computer i probably uh killed a lot of time uh, for the uh, for the employees there because probably they played it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, which computer was it? You remember this? I don't have the slightest idea. Okay. It so was a small integrated computer with an integrated screen, integrated uh, thermal printer, but I don't know the make or, or model. Yeah, it's probably the same as the War Games one, you know. <laughs> no, it looked different. I would love to have uh, to have that one. Even with I think the modem, it's an item. The, uh, you know the acoustic coupling where they have you know like uh, from gum, you know the um, how it is uh, the isolation that you can, you know how, how to call it. You can, they use a regular phone to transfer data. Yeah, right? yeah, this is this yeah. Is nice technology. There were actually people who could uh, whistle uh, uh, these uh, uh, the sounds and 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 send signals like that. So. Uh, I couldn't send the signal, but I could listen, and I and I could tell you which game or which program is loading, uh, according to the sound. Uh, from from the data set. Yes, I I could as well. Yeah. Yeah. For example, I I still remember the sound when on the Schneider um, I would uh, load Elite, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know Elite? Yeah. Um, I still know how it sounded. Yeah. You had these in- initial blocks. Is ah, very good. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, millions of computers are hacked right now, I would say. <laughs> exactly. That's the problem is I, I, I couldn't generate the sound, you know. But so if my data yeah. set is lost, I couldn't, you know, speak to the computer. So it will load Elite. This, w- <laughs> this would be the next step. Maybe just attach a microphone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you are also a musician, I guess, right? Because of computers, because of the data set. Uh, not really. Um, <laughs> I, my father forced me to learn the piano, but um, I made my teacher cry. Actually, it was it was a very very different, a difficult situation for me because after three years, I was really really still very very basic. And um, then I said, okay, if I make my teacher cry, I should probably get permission to stop. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, piano is a similar. No, you push a button, and something happens. But it always the same stuff happens. Is the yeah, problem. exactly. It's too it's too direct. <laughs> you could build and some there's... indirection. I think what, what I yeah. guess you build in the indirection, and then your teacher start crying. You know, because your piano was damaged. <laughs> yeah, maybe it would, if it would have been an electronic keyboard, the uh, story would have been different. But uh, like this with an analog piano, uh, there was no chance that I got really interested in that. So no kidding. So you started programming. So you didn't start playing. Mm-hmm. You you started jazz and always the hello world. Yeah, you know, uh, I started programming and uh, uh, later I got the machine. Definitely did a lot of uh, playing and, and and gaming as well. But also I um, I tried to uh, get my listings into the Schneider magazine. And so, for example, I, I remember I programmed um, um, uh, multicolor sprites. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the Schneider, but the listing, um, so, so I printed the listing and I sent it to them and I was really excited, but they never answered. <laughs> okay. Uh, do, do you managed to publish something? No. Back then? No. No. Okay. Unfortunately, I was 14 years old. Probably I didn't even write the correct, uh, head, the heading letter or something like that. Um, yeah, so no. probably they just threw I, it away. This time, this time you would become, you know, Oracle Groundbreaker Chief Officer for that or something, you know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Code one master. And back then, no one cared, okay? Um, so, um, okay, cool. So I didn't knew that. So, you, so you, what you did then? So what was your first serious application you wrote? Or doesn't it have to be serious, more complicated. It could be a game or whatever. Okay, yeah, a game. Um, I wrote a game. Um but the but the name of the game would have to be bleeped out okay. because it was uh, and die. <laughs> oh, I, 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 you know, it, I was a teenager, and that was the phase where everything had to be, uh, and it was a shoot uh, a shooting game. Okay, like and, and, and I thought it would be something like F and all, you know. This was what uh, I thought immediately. If you uh, about uh, uh, it was very similar t- title. Okay, um, okay, and and was it. Did it work, or it was just nice title, uh, yes. title, and it just booted? <laughs> no, the game, the game, the game worked, but it, it, I did not distribute it. Okay. But it worked, and I was really excited about that. So was it I like was, uh, was ASCII really... art, or was it really? No, weird? no, it was with uh, with real sprites. Okay. So basically, you would uh, create these eight eight by eight uh, um, graphics. Mm-hmm. And combine them to a bigger uh, graphic, but uh, you could actually uh, write that in, in in basic. You could, um, yeah, it was a combination basically of of of, of different graphical um, features of the CPC back then. So, but was, I, this, was it comparable with commercial games somehow, or uh, with bad commercial games? Yes. Oh, very good. And how old were you back back then? I guess 13 or 14. Yeah, this is amazing. Thank you. <laughs> no, really, no kidding. I mean, okay. And uh, yeah, what happened then? So it's getting more and more interesting. So it was still your CPC? I still own it, yes. Okay. Um, but uh, right now I'm not on the CPC no, yeah. because uh, <laughs> the bandwidth. <laughs> yeah, the Java is a little bit too slow, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is why you're complaining about slow times with Gla- uh, Payara, you know, Java, because you're still working on your CPC. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so no, I, so you, uh, after how, the how, CPC, how, yeah. What when was hmm? after? So how how long do you stick with the CPC? Oh, I um, probably until I was eighteen or so, wow. and okay. uh, then when I started uh, studying, I got a Mac, as oh. always. 
it was it was bad timing because um when i had the cpc the c64 would have been a better choice when i had the mac uh windows pc would have been a better choice yeah. because that was the phase when apple was really really down but yeah. i was studying uh biology so, and um, now i'm interested what do you have now <laughs> <laughs> mac okay so still, still at the works. moment i have a mac but um i i already bought the replacement computer for this mac like two years ago and i thought i'd switch to windows and try give it a try just to get yeah. used to it because some customers are using it but actually i never used that replacement yeah. machine i still i'm still on my own mac. yeah this is why the name replacement machine you know you should yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> but very good so uh did one question regarding cpc which programming lang language did you use basic basic yeah. basic Yeah. Just basic, plain, or a little bit just, assembly? No, just basic. You would just like do some peaks and pokes to uh, yeah. uh, for for some special effects, but uh, that's it. I never got into assembly. The the peak and pokes, this they made me crazy. So I, I also started with yeah. basic, uh, and I understood everything except peak and pokes because uh, you know, <laughs> I had my computer. The manual was in French, and I cannot understand French. <laughs> And and at one point of time there was a pick and poke. Like why the hell they know what's what's happens there, you know? And and I was uh -huh. I, I, years later I understood what happens. But uh, at the beginning there is no way to understand you know what pick and pokes does if you don't. It know was the complete machine. magic. You have yeah, to yeah. remember the, na the the number the uh, the code and and otherwise. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So you st you stick with basic. So you could actually write amazing games with basic, right? Yes. Yeah. Cool. That was possible. I mean, they they weren't that big because uh, um, it it I, I only had a couple of screens and they were basically generated. I could not. Uh, also, I was too lazy to uh, write some maps or something like that. So I generated the um, uh, the whole playfield. But um, but you could you could definitely program games, playable games. Okay. And uh, with 18, you go to Mac and you started uh, started biology. And I know about your biology background because we spent a significant amount of time together in a car. Uh, <laughs> yes, in, in Poland. In, in Poland, yeah. And, and I asked you about your Way study. Way too long. Yeah, and, and, and we discussed, you know, what to do to, to, be, to become old. And you told me uh, what I remember exactly is you should just slow down, you know, your, uh, how to call it, your digestion system. Caloric intake. Yeah. Caloric, yeah, yeah, yeah. Caloric index. The, so you shouldn't eat anything. You shouldn't move, and then you will be, become really, really old. So that's actually a good that's idea. True. Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, that's the only thing that works cross species, and that is really proven uh, for many species now is that if you eat less, you live longer. And what I heard um, uh, another theory is that you know the um, uh, how long you live is bound to the amount of times your heart beats. So the the faster it beats, the 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 faster you become dead so this also among species and could be somehow true i don't know how how they came up with it but you know if you if you observe, yeah. observe a bird it's, it, uh, i think it's probably correlation because yeah, exactly. if you if you have a slow heartbeat that means that you're trained that you're uh um that you're fit yeah. and uh that's a good good indicator of good health so you would probably get older okay so what's amazed me right now why you started to st to study biology except you wanted to find out how to be old but uh i mean you had a cpc background you know basic you are yeah, a crazy yeah. good programmer why biology uh, i always wanted to study informatics actually but um in 10th grade i got a math teacher and uh, he hated me uh really he really really hated me he <laughs> told my mother that he never hated a student as much as me <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is uh, actually would... interesting okay Yeah, yeah. He would. Uh, I, I mean, it was. It was basically. Um, I can understand why he hated me because I. Um, I made some uh, cartoons, and of him, and he found them, and uh, that was basically the beginning of the end. So he hated me the whole time, and he refused. I had bad handwriting, so in all the exams, he would just give me zero points because he could not. He, he really said he he cannot read the. Okay. Uh, my answers and so on. So I was really bad at math and that was in 10th grade or 11th grade, I think. So um, since I got from very good in math to very bad in math in just one year, um, I did not take up uh, math uh, as my main subject for the last two years. 
And uh, after that, um, I got more in interested into biology as well. So I thought maybe um, the the math stuff and informatics is is not the most important stuff. And I studied biology, which was a short deviation, basically, on my path to become a programmer again. But I, I mean, the behavior of your teacher is almost criminal, right? If you think about that. Yes, he was. Um, he was. It was real fun. Because I um, I was best friends with uh, his favorite uh, student, she was a girl, and we came to the, to school every day uh, together, mm -hmm. and we we often came late. Mm -hmm. So uh, he waited until she uh, sat down because she was sitting in the front and I was sitting in the back. And as soon as she sat down, he started uh, yelling at me for coming late. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He was he was crazy. That's But okay. I mean, I'm sorry for him. He was a he was a really poor fellow. I think he did not have uh, still live with his mom and, and and did not have much fun in life. So okay. separation of maybe concerns, maybe that know? was his fun. So separation of concerns, the girl, you know, and you. That's okay. Sit down. Yeah. You are nice, and then. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Okay. Uh, and uh, how you got the interest to biology? I mean, um, interest in biology was because there was some um, some um, behavioral um, uh, books that I on behavioral um, biology that I read, mm -hmm. and I found that very interesting. Like all these patterns that we have as humans are also um, can also be seen in animals and, and everything is very very similar um, and even complex behavior can be found there um, and I found that very interesting and intriguing and also I was interested in gerontology because um, I found this problem really interesting that everybody is getting old and eventually dying And uh, it is a very poorly understood process. I mean, it's natural and everybody knows that this is happening. But what is actually happening uh, is not really known. And there are over 600 theories on um, what is the real reason for aging and, and, and getting old and dying. But none of them is really um, proven. And I found that very, very interesting. And I, I thought I would be the one to solve these problems. So now, uh, have you did any programming uh, work during your biology study, or why you um, needed the computer then? Uh, we did uh, DNA analysis, and oh, in uh -huh. DNA analysis, what you do is uh, you compare sequences, mm -hmm. and for example, um, compare a sequence um, with with a, a primer you used for enhancing DNA and um, analyze everything. And for that, you need computers. I did not do much programming then, just a little bit of scripting. But um, but what, what, what I found was that I was really, really bad at work in the lab. So what you do in biology is you design, you have an idea, You have a, um, a hypothesis and you want to test it. So you design an experiment. And these experiments are very long because you have uh, animals need to grow. You need to kill them. You need to analyze their DNA and so on. So it takes many months to conduct an experiment, which is very boring because you have the idea, you want the result. And <laughs> you design the experiment. That is exciting, uh, having the ideas. But the rest of it, the next six, six months are really, really boring and repetitive. And everything can go wrong. There are so many parameters. And I was really, really bad because um, at, at that because I would use the, the wrong buffer or it was expired or something like that. And I hated uh, lab work. I, I really started to hate lab work. And I, um, I thought, how can I do biology and, uh, without the lab work? And the interesting part was actually the work with the computer. Mm -hmm. The interesting part was analyzing stuff and Computers are perfect for analyzing stuff. So I went back to the university and studied computer science and uh, started in a company where we did um, comparative DNA analysis, identifying genes, identifying uh, pathways, um, genetic pathways, and finding finding lots of interesting information. We found, we, we identified Uh, thousands of genes, and, and that was really exciting, actually. So you found your answers uh, in the biology study, or was it a waste of time in your eyes? 
Oh, it was interesting, and the work in uh, in science later on with bioinformatics was also very interesting, and we found a lot of uh, interesting information. We worked with pharma industry um, and helped them identify um, identify causes for for uh, diseases and stuff like that. So it was really rewarding. Uh, problem was, it was a, a startup company that was mostly run like a, no, uh, I meant, like a, I meant uh, uh, during your study. So you, the idea yeah. that you studied was, you know, to find the answer, not to get old. And uh, no, I did not find the answer. But but uh, you were nobody found it yet. <laughs> no, yeah, I know it. But uh, was it somehow rewarding for you to study biology, or you found out that it was actually a waste of time? You know, so that. Uh... Oh, it wasn't a waste of time. It was interesting. I, okay. I learned a lot of interesting stuff. Okay, perfect. So you studied twice. So you studied biology mm -hmm. and computer science. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. And and how long it took? I, five years, six years. Um, all together. Yeah. Uh, from from biology to uh, I think all together my study was about almost ten years. Okay, but this is you have two. Oh, perfect. Nine so years you have two degrees. So. Yes. Yeah. Crazy. Okay. And um, and uh, what you enjoyed more, computer science or biology? Computer science. Okay. So was it applied it's... or was it theory? So what you did, you, you studied in university. Applied. Or... Okay. Or yes. Okay. No. Okay. Um, okay. Cool. And so, where you got better grades? Um, I think it was comparable. Okay. Cool. Both both equal. And I it think was... we met. If you were at a startup company with DNAs, it was in Munich. I think you invited me the first time. Was it? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That was the NetBeans user group Munich. Like I founded the NetBeans user group Munich, and uh, you were. The most popular um, speaker there. No we kidding. had like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I remember that uh, we had standing room only when you were there. We, it, I mean, it was a small group, NetBeans user group. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess we had easily like 80 people or something like that in a very small room. Yeah, probably uh, I, I still, you know, did some Java E work and this is always popular. This is the problem. Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, Cool. So how long did you stick with the company back then? Um, five, five years, I guess. Five, seven years, maybe. What, what we now left off, uh, I mean, you did some work with BASIC, then some scripting study. Which scripting languages were they? Python or what you did at, during biobiology study? Uh, Python, yes. Python. And, and then... And Perl, Perl. Perl, okay. And yeah, we did a lot of Perl um, because Perl is really good at string comparison. Okay. And and what happens with Java? I mean, so we met after your study. You already knew about Java, so yeah. In the study, in, in studying computer science, uh -huh. uh, our language was Java. Ah, okay. And, and with so which I Java work... version you started? You remember that it was Java one, two? Um, I th it, I think it was Java one. Okay. Um, so I I remember that I had to work with Microsoft Java. Ah, this um, was very early. So this was the yeah, usual yeah. J plus plus. Um, yes. Um, we had the um, I, I remember that Microsoft Java, they had some differences in the applets because I, uh, I wrote applets back then. Mm -hmm. And um, Microsoft Java was really annoying because they made some API changes. And um, so you had to basically care for providing versions for Microsoft Java and Sun Java. Yeah, they did a lot of changes. They had, I think they didn't have the RMI stuff. And uh, they, they, of course, they didn't like the JDBC. So there, there were some changes. And uh, then they had, you know, to align with Sun because there was some suit going on. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, exactly. And what you wrote with the applets and what you did during the, your study, what was your first serious Java application? My first serious Java application was actually at that company, I would say. Mm -hmm. it, it was called uh, um, the Bibliosphere. And it was a 3D animation that would show uh, connections between genes. So it was like uh, clustering algorithms and um, uh, literature analysis. What we did was information extraction from uh, from large literature databases with like 20 million uh, abstracts of scientific papers. And we would analyze them for um, uh, for gene names and um, their connections. And we would then uh, do statistical analysis and clustering and show that as a big sphere, 3D sphere, and um, first in the browser and later in a desktop application. That is amazing. And um, that question, was... 
how you, what is your impression of Java? So in one point of time you left, you know, Pearl and bumped into Java. You like it from the beginning? You hated it? What yes. Was your, uh -huh. you I liked. It? I loved it. I okay. loved it. I loved Java from the beginning, and um, <laughs> a lot of the, a lot of the guys at my old company were doing Pearl, and we had big fights, um, the Pearl fraction and the and the Java fraction. But I I convinced them to use Java uh, over the years. And then I left. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Very good strategy. <laughs> and and uh, the company is still around? Uh, surprisingly, yes. Oh, it was bought by another company. It, was, it, 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 it got smaller and smaller, and in the end it got bought by a bigger company. Okay, and they're still doing Java? I don't know. I don't think so. Because uh, all the people that did Java back then left at one point because Java was in demand, so they could probably get better uh, uh, better rates, better uh, salaries so we can somewhere else. So we can summarize here. So if company is not doing Java, it's probably because the developers cannot good good jobs, cannot get good jobs, right? This is what... Exactly. Okay. The... So... <laughs> <laughs> and if the company does Java... A and if the company does Java, it automatically means everyone is doing well. Yes. Okay, very good. So um... I think you summed it up pretty, pretty accurate, accurately. <laughs> I think we should beep out here the whole section. Otherwise, you know, my uh, podcast is going to be marked as explicit because nowadays you cannot say that. So we have to tell you, no, Java is legacy, boring and slow and hard oh, okay. to learn, Sorry. hard to learn mm. and whatever. Uh, yeah, it was horrible. Yeah, horrible. Yeah, exactly. And it was is, a horrible time. And there's everyone who left and they... Uh, exactly. Okay, perfect. <laughs> um, okay, so, um, yeah. This is... And I think the desktop stuff you did with NetBeans then, right? Um, I started without NetBeans, but I discovered um, NetBeans and the NetBeans platform. Mm -hmm. um, so the first time I used NetBeans was actually during bio uh, during uh, um, a, um, what do you call it? And I was an intern at the university in Berlin mm -hmm. for a computer scientist who did gerontology studies with the uh, with uh, applications. And then uh, back then it was called Forte for Java. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I hated it. I it was absolutely unusable. I tried to use it for a couple of days, and then I uh, I just uh, stopped using it. And just when I was at the company, um, I discovered it again. I was using JBuilder back then, mm -hmm. and um, which was actually a great um, yes. a great idea. And then I discovered NetBeans platform. And I found out that you can use uh, NetBeans as a platform for creating desktop applications. Mm -hmm. And you have everything you need, like a Windows system, like actions, configurable, registerable. Uh, you could write plugins and stuff like that. And that, that was really cool. And that's how I discovered NetBeans. Okay. Must have been around the NetBeans 4 or 5 yeah. uh, version. I also started with Forte. And I had to use uh, Forte from time to time because I delivered as a freelancer sometimes courses or trainings for Sun Microsystems. And they forced me mm -hmm. more or less to use Forte. But it was terrible. You had to mount jars, what I remember. It's like, yes. where is the class pass? The mount jars. Like, why the hell I have to mount a jar? And then Net <laughs> NetBeans came out. And I was like, OK, this is probably the same story. And I ignored NetBeans yeah. until five, I think. This was the first refactoring. And then six, I think. And then I was hooked into it because you get got everything, you know, uh, with single download without any plugins. And in the Eclipse world, yes. I had, you know, 500 different clients and every client yes. used different plugins and it drove me crazy. On my laptop, I had different plugin folders with plugin workspaces. I say, I cannot just manage the plugins. I mean, what is going on here? And with NetBeans, yes. it was basically no plugins, which was, which I still enjoy until now. Yes, NetBeans is brilliant. I cool. just, uh, just this morning, I submitted a pull request for NetBeans. Okay, for, for, for NetBeans 13 or what? <laughs> yes. No, uh, 11.2, I cool. think. Perfect. Um, because they, they have DukeScript support in there, and uh -huh. I, had to, um, I had to fix something. Because they have this, you know, the, uh, NetBeans has this cool feature um, where you can enable parts of the IDE on demand. So mm -hmm. if you first start with the IDE, it's mm -hmm. naked, mm -hmm. and you cannot do anything with it. And then you say, like, I want to create a Java application, and then it will enable Java support. Mm -hmm. And um, I also, that, that was working for, for the DukeScript templates and everything, but the problem was on Java 11, a lot of things changed. Um, and internally, we are also using some Java FX, 
So uh, especially Java FX changed from eight to uh, uh, to nine that you could no long it's no longer delivered with the JDK. Mm -hmm. So you have to download it and install it. So we had to make them some some changes to make it work again with I Java could. eleven. So now, um, so you left the company as well. Uh, yeah. The, uh, what was the name of the company? Can we? I should I should I share it? Oh. I think it's public anyway because if I deliver the talk at the company. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's, it. geno it's genomatics. Genomatics, okay. And um, what uh, what happens after genomatics? Um, I got more and more requests. I started blogging and uh, did the NetBeans user group and stuff like that. Was in the Java community, and uh, people contacted me and asked me for advice on NetBeans platform. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to hire me to help them with their NetBeans platform applications because I was blogging back then and and starting to become an expert. And I found this very intriguing because the company was very small and was going in my eyes nowhere. Mm -hmm. So um, so I decided uh, that I should take this chance and uh, be independent. And I wanted to be a consultant specifically for biology-related uh, applications, genetics applications, and stuff like that. Um, that actually did not turn out so well okay. because I never had a customer in that field. But um, I had customers in very many other fields. And I remembered that actually one of my first customers uh, came uh, via you. Yeah, but it what, was an insurance company. Yeah, I was. There was an insurance company, and and uh, they had an issue. Yeah, I was overloaded with work, and I we had a chat, and you said I would like to become a freelancer, and I said okay. Yeah. Then uh, if you like, just uh, go there because I cannot manage it anyway. And they were really happy with your services, what I can tell you. Yeah, it was mm -hmm. it was funny because I had this. I, I looked at their source code. And uh, it was full of profanities. Mm -hmm. So there were lots of comments like, I hate NetBeats and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and worse things. And, and apparently they had problems for, for, for many weeks um, and, and tried to solve them. And the problem was they wanted to send an email from this application. And they weren't able to, but only sometimes it, it, it would work. Mm -hmm. So... Um, if I, I looked at the code and, and, and looked at the patterns um, and, and tried the application, and I found that um, it actually worked in about 50% of the cases. Cool. And, uh, yeah, hey, better than nothing, right? <laughs> yeah, but 50%. What, what they did is they had an old Delphi application, so mm -hmm. they would call the Delphi application to send an email okay. uh, from from there to uh, to do it reliably. But 50% was very uh, was a very interesting number because yeah. why would it exactly work in 50% of the cases? DNS. DNS or load balancing? No, no, no. The problem was module system because back then NetBeans module system, if you had um, the same dependency twice. Um, in the module system, it would uh, use one of them by chance. So in 50% ah. of the cases, and the issue was Java EE. because oh, you cannot say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, the issue was not Java EE. Yeah, the course. issue was J2E, how they... The old J2E, this was the problem. <laughs> yeah, no, no, how they, how they added the dependencies because they had the mail, Java mail dependency. Yeah. Um, at, so so in, one, in one part, they had all the Java, AP, uh, um, Java EE APIs, um, but not the implementations. And uh, in another module, they had the implementations. So in one part, they would just like call the API, but there was no implementation behind it. And in the other parts, uh, in the other part, in the other fifty percent of cases, they would reach the implementation. What I guess so uh, took me NetBeans, you know, felt a little bit offended because of the profanity in the comments, and this is what happened. <laughs> you know, so you should be nice to your IDE. So. <laughs> Yeah, so it took me like like one hour uh -huh. to solve the problem, uh -huh. and then I was sitting there for the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but uh, yeah, later on they fixed that inside of NetBeans. I was, I, I, I found it a really nice problem. Um, um, yeah, but uh, later in NetBeans, when you compiled an application, it would tell you you cannot have the same, um, the same stuff twice on, or at least it warned you about that. So it was very obvious what what was happening. So, what happened then? You, so you you still were a consultant all the time. So you did uh, uh, NetBeans mm -hmm. RCP all the time. Yes, I did that for a long time. Uh, it was used a lot in military and air traffic control and uh, defense-related applications, and I did a lot of work there. And um, 
then I started um, I started to also do JavaFX and do a lot of JavaFX trainings and courses and stuff like that and consulting. And um, yeah, but I wasn't happy how Sun uh, treated uh, or Oracle treated JavaFX um, because uh, we wanted it uh, as what it was initially uh, introduced as. Initially, I, I remember it was introduced as a mobile uh, a, a platform for mobile devices, a language for mobile devices. Mm -hmm. And um, this went away. So you had no way to uh, deploy stuff on iOS or Android mm -hmm. um, with JavaFX. And um, even though they had a, a team in Prague that developed all that stuff, I think it was in probably 2013, also, they had this team and they uh, wanted to go to Java 1 and they had all these talk talks at Java 1 lined up. You could see them in the program about how to do uh, JavaFX on iOS, how to do JavaFX on Android and stuff like that, and even in the browser. And uh, unfortunately, all these talks were, were canceled a week before Java 1. And all this work was uh, the, the work group was dissolved, and they uh, had to do other stuff, probably cloud. <laughs> and, of course. <laughs> yeah. So I was disappointed. Yeah, but uh, the crazy thing one. is, I guess it, this, at the same Java one, there was a keynote where they presented JavaFX running on iPad. Remember that? Um, JavaFX. Yeah. Did they do that? Yes. There was the uh, official, you know, Sun or Oracle people showed that yeah. uh, JavaFX runs on, they, they, either they showed iPad or iPhone yeah. on stage. Uh -huh. and they it say could if, be because yeah? it, it was there. It was, it was ready. Basically. It, yeah, it was yeah, not it uh, production ready, but it worked because uh, uh, Oracle have their own um, way to run Java on uh, iPhone. Mm -hmm. So uh, they have their own virtual machine basically for, um, uh, for, for iOS. Mm -hmm. And I think they used it for Muff. Mm -hmm. uh, for this mobile application framework mm -hmm. that they have, and um, I think they used that. And also, I, I, I was but this a is little unfortunate. Bit... Unfortunate because if this would, yeah. this could really take off, because right now you know Absolutely. All, all the other technologies, like you know what we have as Ionic and and all the other stuff or uh, React Native, are very similar. I, I mean, we, you could do the same with Java. There was no reason to know exactly. Yeah, this, uh, you know why that why the team was killed. Um, I think it was because of MAF, um, because okay. um, JavaFX was free and open source, okay. and I have no idea. It's just Maybe my no, guessing. Yeah, sure. But uh, but uh, MAF was there, and MAF was a commercial product, mm -hmm. and it was a, a way of doing basically um, uh, Oracle Forms on mobile platforms, on iOS and Android. And I think they didn't want to have an in-house competition for that. Okay. This is really, uh, really unfortunate. That's just my guess. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And unfortunately, um, uh, later, the guys at uh, Johann Foss and, and, and the Gluon guys mm -hmm. picked up the stuff. They, so basically, they built on the stuff that was already there in, in, in Oracle, developed by the mobile team in Prague, and uh, made it work on iOS and Android. Mm -hmm. So now we have the solution, but it's probably like five years too late. This is okay. And... What what you did then? So you recognize you know the mobile demand and desktop. So yeah. And so what we did is uh, um, so back then I was um, with together with Jaroslav Tulach, the founder of NetBeans. Mm -hmm. We always gave NetBeans trainings uh, for the students of the university in Linz mm -hmm. uh, once a year, and uh, it was the group where uh, I met Thomas Wirtinger from uh, from Graal mm -hmm. uh, VM, the lead of the Graal VM. Uh, team. He was organizing that, and um, every year we would get drunk and, uh, okay. <laughs> and start start hacking and and exchanging stupid ideas and or cool ideas actually. Um, and uh, Yaroslav one year came and said, "I want Java." That was back at the time when uh, everybody threw out the Java plugin from the browsers, and he said, "I want Java to run in the browser without a plugin." Mm -hmm. And that's how he invented Back to Browser, um, which is a way of right now it's it's transpiling Java to JavaScript, and you can run Java applications in the browser. And um, I wrote uh, an API for that. For back then, it was for Canvas, mm -hmm. for the HTML5 Canvas, so you could actually render um, 
you write Java graphics code and render it in uh, in the browser. Java 2D and I wrote or some... what you did? Java 2D? No, no, it was similar to Java 2D, but uh, it was it was simpler than that. Because uh, Canvas is similar to Java 2D somehow, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes, mm -hmm. it's very similar, but it's uh, it was more like uh, the real HTML5 API. Mm -hmm. um, but later on, in, in the meantime, we have an implementation uh, of Java 2D based on that mm -hmm. um, on, on that Canvas that I wrote back then. And also the, uh, the team in Prague used the, uh, the Canvas API mm -hmm. and back to browser to also deploy JavaFX in the browser. So uh, we already had there, we we already had some demos of JavaFX running with back on back to browser in the browser with my Canvas API, and that was also something that they wanted to present at Java One but never did. <laughs> okay, but the, 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 uh, the drunken, that was the starting point. The, yeah. uh, the drunken event idea of back to browser was it uh, at the time as the back to browser was supposed to be commercial or was it after after it was killed? Uh, back to browser was never killed. Back to browser no, no. was always uh, I, I, after, uh, after the t team was killed. You know the official. I don't. I think it was. Um, it was before that. Yeah. It okay. was before that because. Um, um, Because it was just like focusing browsers back then. Mm -hmm. We were just uh, focusing browsers back then. But then uh, Yaroslav developed some APIs, mm -hmm. and the APIs were really smart because they used the MVVM model view view model pattern mm -hmm. um, to separate the, um, the the UI the view mm -hmm. technology completely from the from the Java code. Mm -hmm. So you would just like similar to uh, as it's done in FXML. Mm -hmm. um, where you can bind to a property in uh, Java-based controller, mm -hmm. uh, but even uh, more elaborate because you uh, would never have to interact with widgets in the Java code. So, so and this API was so good that we said, like, uh, we're, uh, we, we can basically not only uh, use it in the browser, but we can use it to create implementations of this API for different platforms where a browser is available and a Java virtual machine is available. And that's how we managed to um, to get Java applications running on iOS by uh, using a Java virtual machine that was available there. Back then it was RoboVM. And uh, on Android, uh, well, there is a, a way of running Java on Android mm -hmm. anyway. Mm -hmm. And we used um, um, the HTML components, renderer components there, and combined that. So um, after that, we were able to run uh, the same application on the desktop, on iOS, in the browser, and on Android. And, what, what it uh, means, just to summarize, I would write Java code. And yeah. uh, there is a, par a part of machinery which will translate the Java code to JavaScript. So transpiling Java to JavaScript. And this is called, the technology is called back to browser. If I had some widgets, yeah. let's say Swing or JavaFix, there was another technology where the widgets, uh, transpiled widgets, of course, but they, because they have to be available in JavaScript, the transpiled JavaFix and Swing widgets are able to render themselves to uh, HTML5 canvas in the browser. So is this is how it worked? No. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, <laughs> it would be possible like uh, it, it it would be possible like that. Um, well, now it's getting a little bit complicated. Um, what you described is exactly how the JavaFX port uh, for back to browser worked. Yeah, this the one that was never released. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly how it worked. Um, but <clears throat> because, we uh, wait a second, because uh, if you yeah. think about this, Java JavaFX is scalable with CSS3. So if you would, uh, and uh, JavaFX uh, is also renders itself with more and more SVG-like style. So you could mm -hmm. absolutely port the whole thing to pure JavaScript. Yes, it's possible. That's, uh, but we didn't want to do that actually because uh, at that point we thought uh, uh, we would need to. Um, to, if, if we render everything in, uh, Canvas. in in JavaScript in the browser and on these uh, components in Canvas, it's probably not the fastest way to do things. Or, um, or crazy fast. Uh, it, could yeah. be, it could be extremely fast. The, the problem I see is it's really hard to debug and you couldn't style this whole thing with CSS because inside the Canvas it's not visible. 
That's right. Um, you would have to implement the CSS system in, yeah. on, on a, top of that yourself. Throwback. This would be a huge drawback. So this yeah. is why, why I'm uh, thinking about the architecture. And you said what and you did instead. So what, yeah. what, you, what uh, you're now talking about is after the failure of the uh, Oracle attempt to deliver JavaFX yeah. to the browser, you yeah. rethought the whole thing, and now we are talking about something new, right? Yes. Um, what, we, what we did then is uh, we said, like, um, we could definitely port Swing and we could definitely port JavaFX um, to the browser and, and all of these platforms, but it would be a lot of work uh, because JavaFX is huge. It's, uh, it has its own scene graph API. It's, it has native rendering on the different platforms and um, it has a huge API of, I, I probably think like 700 classes or something like that. And um, we thought like, we don't want to maintain that. Um, so we said, what, what else can we do? And back then was the time when JavaScript-based UIs really took off. And we said, like, why don't we use just what is there and what is complete and what is developed by companies like Google and uh, improved by, uh, every day, basically, and uh, just bind it to Java? And uh, that was how we were able to very quickly... Um, um, also, we wanted to very quickly port to new platforms. So what we said is in the view, we just use regular HTML, mm -hmm. um, DOM nodes and stuff like that, mm -hmm. and bind these DOM nodes to properties in a Java-based model. So when the Java-based model changes, like I have a string property and I change it from, um, from hello to hello, mm -hmm. um, the HTML-based UI, the DOM would automatically listen and update itself. And that is the model view view model pattern, and it works quite well. And uh, we decided to go with that because then we could have an API that is very, very small. It's like, I, I guess it's 50 classes or something like that, and uh, you probably only ever uh, interact with uh, 10 of them. And just uh, have basically a binding between HTML and Java. Okay. So we so. have a small bridge that uh, that allows you to um, to bind your DOM to uh, Java properties. And in addition to that, we also have a way of basically writing JavaScript code in a type-safe manner from Java if you need that. But usually, you should not need that. So okay. So what? Uh... What you're doing right now is so you can just use your stock uh, DOM nodes, HTML5 nodes, and there is mm -hmm. like a marker, like an attribute, like binding. Um, mm -hmm. I think I'd look it up. It's data bind, right? So this is data. Yeah, that's data bind. It's it's uh, we're using internally the Knockout uh, JavaScript library, okay. which is a very stable. Um, stable data binding library from Microsoft. But you didn't have to do this. Uh, so with the data bind, you can just say query selector all, give me all nodes with uh, data bind attributes and you will get them uh, internally. And um, yeah. you, uh, the developer writes Java code. Mm -hmm. It writes the uh, Java functions with the functionality. And then it mm -hmm. writes uh, HTML5 code. Uh, and there is uh, and the relation between the HTML5 widget and the Java code is a string probably. So you can bind directly between UI elements and Java, right? Exactly. That's so, exactly how it works. So what, what it actually, what you get out of that is you can write your presentation logic in Java and you are writing your UI code in HTML and JavaScript, right? Yes. Okay. And the benefit of that is that uh, you really uh, have the Java code very isolated and you can unit test it without starting the UI mm -hmm. and the Java code does not even know anything about the UI. So uh, the APIs are designed in a way that you could even completely exchange the view technology for something different. So um, we also have... Um, have a version of it running where you can uh, bind JavaFX um, uh, to our models mm -hmm. or where you can bind native components to our models. But the default is HTML DOM. So, so could, HTML. But I could actually write my custom elements web components and use the data bind and bind my component with your yes. model. Okay. And uh, are you also uh, um, supporting custom events? So if I will throw a custom events, can you listen to it? You know it? 
Yes. Oh, very good. So there's actually a tight integration with web standards. So the decision mm -hmm. is we can write our presentation model with Java, which get transpiled to JavaScript, and we can mm -hmm. use a web standards uh, UI framework in the front end, whatever we like. We could use Vadin components and bind them to, yes. to uh, DukeScript. Now, I'm, the name of your framework moment, is DukeScript, right? Yes, that's that's correct. Yeah. Um, at the moment, I'm using Onsen UI, for example, a lot for, for mobile development because they have really nice components. Enzo? Onsen. Onsen. Onsen, okay. Like the Japanese uh, hot bath. Ah, okay. Onsen okay. UI. Okay. Uh, okay. And uh, if you, I would like to communicate from uh, the presentation to the server, could I just use the regular fetch or WebSockets or what I have to do? Uh, we have an API for that. Um, so uh, by default, we can very easily integrate with the REST-based, uh, JSON-based uh, uh, communication because all the models that we are uh, generating, the Java-based models, um, can be serialized to JSON and uh, parsed from JSON. So um, we have an integration that is uh, an annotation, basically, that you put on a method. It's called onReceive. And um, you give it an endpoint. And um, you give it uh, the class that is supposed to be um, the data type of the answer. Mm -hmm. And it will automatically parse the JSON reply from the, from the server and convert it to a Java model object. So you can work with that. You do not have to parse anything. Um, you just declare um, where the endpoint is. You just declare what the type of the message is, and the rest will be done by the system. So it's more or less remote procedure call. Uh, yes, a, mm -hmm. a very elegant one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, you can just, uh, you, are call, you are invoking a method in the browser, and the call is proxied and translated into remote call via jersey and probably on and, and the backend you have Jaxorus jersey which uh, receives that and invokes an annotated method so it's completely transparent for you no no the the uh, the annotated method is on the in the um, in the client application yeah in the, uh, this is so uh, we can, we can talk to any uh, to any rest endpoint uh, it it doesn't matter in uh, what language it is. Um, it just needs to give us some JSON, and uh, we create a Java object that uh, represents the JSON, and it will be automatically par parsed and converted into that object. So, so, you so for example, if I call get user, um, I will get the JSON message with the user, uh -huh. and uh, uh, DukeScript automatically converts that into a, a Java object, user object, and I can work with that and okay. display it in the UI. You, but this get user is in the browser. Um, the get user is uh, so so the call of get user is in the browser. Exactly. It's using uh, JavaScript APIs um, to connect to the server and yeah. um, get the XML HTTP request and uh, get the reply and does the parsing and everything. Yeah, but uh, the server is out of scope of DukeScript, right? Or do you have uh, the server is out of scope. Okay. You can use what, what, what we did a lot is we have one demo application where we reuse the same models that we generate from uh, DukeScript, so the Java uh, classes, um, on the server. And it's a CRUD application where we send uh, users and edit them and, and so on. So you can see a small um, Java EE application and uh, the data object that it uses are... Um, are the same Java objects that we use in the in the client. So okay, this That's is actually quite useful because uh, you don't have duplication. This is what I what I what I what I saw. I saw the CRUD. I generated the CRUD with the archetype, and I yeah. saw the server side and client side. And I saw there is like you know uh, remote invocation going on between the client and the server. And uh, yeah. but regularly, how you will do? Let's say I have on the server an endpoint. It says you know. Uh, get teachers, and I get a JSON object with teachers back. So mm -hmm. um, I will, uh, if you call it on the client side, you will just generate from the JSON script string a, a JavaScript object, so you can call just you know uh, teacher dot name, teacher dot niceness, or whatever. And then it, in JavaScript, the uh, the binding happens automatically. So there is nothing to do. You only need to to, to have the URI, right? 
Um, yeah, not not exactly, but similar. So what you do is you do all of that in Java. Yeah. You ah, def- yeah. Forgot about the Java. Exactly. So we are a yeah. Java framework. So yeah. uh, so uh, we don't we don't do JavaScript. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in, so you we don't need to do JavaScript. Object. It's even simpler. Teacher object. Exactly. Teacher object. I create a teacher object. Yeah. And uh, as soon as I have defined a teacher object, I I. I Basically, I, I just have to add the properties that I'm interested in. The other one will be uh, other ones will be ignored. If I want all the uh, properties from the JSON object, I just define all of them, and uh, then I create a method, a static method, um, that will uh, uh, take as an argument uh, a list of these teacher objects, and I annotate it with the on receive annotation, and then um, uh, in the background via the annotation. Um, I would be, have a method generated and I can call this method get teachers and it will automatically, um, do all the calls, the rest calls, API calls. Uh, it will automatically parse and in the end call my static method and pass in uh, the parsed teachers and I can work with them. So I don't have to deal with communication at all. So what it means, we have two execution environments. One is the transpiled one and this, uh, you have your pre-compiled teacher in JavaScript, which knows how to read uh, or, or populate itself from a JSON. And the other mm-hmm. one is on the as a pure Java application because if you launch a unit test, something will happen on the on, in Java. And there yeah. you are using properly JaxOS client to talk to the server and mm-hmm. JSON P probably to yes. to deserialize <laughs> the data. And uh, and then you have a binding between a type safe interface teacher or Java class teacher. And if you call yeah. get name it is like uh, json.getString.name, right? Something mm-hmm. like this. Yeah. Um, what what we do is we have different implementations of this on receive um, annotation, mm-hmm. and it depends on the platform. So if you run the whole application in the browser, then everything is transpiled, and we use XML HTTP request. Mm-hmm. And um, if um, if everything is running on the desktop, then we basically run the Java code really in hotspot in a real Java virtual machine, and only the JavaScript part and the UI part is run in a browser component in, for example, JavaFX WebView. Mm-hmm. And um, so the implementation is based on Java there. So it's different from the implementation for the browser. So this on receive basically abstracts away the uh, communication with the server. And um, it's implemented different for the different platforms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But uh, if in a unit te- test, you don't need the JavaFX part at all. No, because exactly. Because the teacher service would be headless. So there is there is just the binding annotation, but nothing else. You can launch it. Ex- yes. And then you can talk with the backend, test everything with unit test. Does you know your communica- is your communication working? And then you can decide yeah. which rendering framework are you using. Exactly. Cool. How old is the Duke script? So you started Duke script immediately after the project failed at Oracle, or what was you know the? I start? think it was. Uh, I th- it, it was started 2014, I think, or okay. 2013, something like that. Uh, because I think in 2014 we won the Duke's Choice Award for it, mm-hmm. and I would have to look it up. Cool. So you, so, so you got the, the huge Duke as a as a trophy. Yes. Yes, I have it. Yeah, cool, perfect. <laughs> And, um, it's in a box right now. <laughs> in the box? Yeah, unfortunately. Pure Duke. I'm renovating, so ah, it's in okay. a box. So you get your new Duke script he- headquarters. Yes. Okay, and uh, and how you earn your money right now? So you, you stop delivering trainings, right? Or do you have some training still going? Um, I do some training sometimes, but uh, way less. So I will do a JavaFX performance tuning training in Zurich in December mm-hmm. at the JavaFX days. But other than that, uh, I'm not doing many trainings at the moment, maybe one or two a year. Um, I'm doing still doing some consulting. I still have some NetBeans platform customers, actually, that I uh, uh, work with. Mm-hmm. And um, I... Um, have a new startup where we develop applications and um, these applications are written in DubeScript. Cool. And what's the, what's the name of the, your startup? The new startup is Smart Access Solutions. Smart, smart Access or Smart S Solutions? 
<laughs> smart access. <laughs> That's actually not bad. Yeah, smart access solution. This would be actually. Uh, it's, it's, it stays with you. you uh, so, so it's really a rememberable name. Do I, I? I would do a counter startup, smart S solution, you know, <laughs> to compete with you and see what what sticks better. Good idea. Yeah, and um, and and you 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 do just Duke script then, and uh, you are of course I think um, you are also implementing new features in Duke script, right? Yes. So what would be the one of the killer features what you're thinking about implementing in the next release? It doesn't have to be killer, um, major or nice feature. One of the things that I have lying around for a long time uh, is uh, called Amaron UI, and um, it's native uh, components. So um, um, for iOS and Android, ah, and okay. uh, direct binding to JavaFix, it does all of that. Um, so instead of using HTML, mm -hmm. um, I can use... Um, so a, a description language it's similar to react native okay so you have um you have uh, your own format it's a it's a json based format mm -hmm. and uh, you can define your ui in that mm -hmm. and uh, it will create uh native components uh on on each platform okay and that would be nice it i think it would be a killer feature because it allows you to render everything at native speed and the application will be a definitely a completely native application and it's the same code for uh, at least three platforms mm -hmm. and that would be that would be really nice and it's working but i have the same issue that you have with these uh, native frameworks the ui um is different on the different um, on the different platforms. Like iOS has no back button, and um, so there are lots of small differences. And to find the common ground without uh, without restricting the user too much, that is the the, the actual issue. But um, I hope that I will have find the time to uh, to finish that and, and publish it soon. Very cool. And. The, the biggest thing that we did uh, recently was um, I just contributed um, a couple of presenters, which are implementations of, um, of our APIs to, uh, to NetBeans. So the NetBeans project now has a couple of presenters uh, that allow you to run um, DukeScript applications uh, or they call it HTML um, uh, for J or HTML Java applications uh, with GTK-based browsers and um, and also some core classes that you need to implement it for uh, different platforms that we used for uh, for iOS and Android. Mm -hmm. And uh, these are now part of NetBeans. Um, and we're probably doing an announcement and an article uh, about that next week. Okay. And how it could uh, uh, basically lead to NetBeans. Uh, uh, NetBeans actually is is using uh, DukeScript uh, at some parts internally for the wizards, mm -hmm. and you can already write uh, DukeScript-based uh, plugins and stuff like that uh, mm -hmm. with NetBeans. And um, well, with our contribution, uh, we want to we want to enable users to uh, to do even more with that. So in the end, maybe we can run NetBeans in the browser. So to summarize, uh, Java is back in browser, right? Yes, <laughs> Very definitely. <good>. And <laughs> are, are you also selling commercial support or some products for your for your Duke Script or is for it... Duke Script? Yes. Okay, so people um, can actually give you some money for for Duke Script. Yes, they sometimes do. Um, we do not do do uh, much marketing, so it's. Um, it's it's not really huge. It's not the unicorn that you uh, were kidding about, but <laughs> uh, but we have business and we have business customers. Yeah, but uh, I have to say it's really important because uh, let's say um, so in the uh, in the past I did some work with JSF prime faces, also with mm -hmm. Vardin components and Vardin elements. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I tell my clients is instead you know of hiring me to extend the components, you should rather hire Vardin now Duke Script or or prime faces guy because. If they extend the platform for you, it's not a fork. The new release mm -hmm. will include the changes. If I do yeah. something for you, you know, with the UI, you are depending on me, which is not a bad thing. But I mean, it is uh, you spend too much for maintenance. So I think this is really right. not a bad idea to hire you know, the people who actually create the frameworks to extend the frameworks because then you know, okay, this is an interesting feature. You can include it to a platform in the next release. It is automatically included. So I mean, commercial support is is sometimes even the cheapest possible solution for larger clients.
Yes, definitely. Um, and and I'm, I'm glad that some of the clients really understand that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because and, I mean, if they understand money, they will understand that. Either you have a time or money. And, you know, mm -hmm. if you fork your, let's say I will fork now your Duke script and create my own widget, then, you know, do your uh, iOS binding stuff and change the API. And I would really like to run on, on, on iOS. Then I will, you know, uh, re-migrate or rebase with your changes and they will cost me mm -hmm. a lot of time over time. That's right. Yeah. On the other hand, it's also a two-sided sword for, for somebody who produces a platform. Um, like um, I was talking once with the iReports guy. I don't know his name. Um, mm -hmm. uh, he and he said like he uh, he sees a problem in uh, companies who, who create a product doing uh, uh, support and consulting uh, so he doesn't do that he just sells licenses because he says like if he uh, has to decide uh, where to spend time um, it will be bad for the framework so if you do consulting it will cost you it will you will invest time into the consulting and you cannot uh, invest it into develop further developing the platform and your product making your product be better um, i think that's true for small companies to some extent but still i uh, decided that i will do uh, consulting and i will do support because in the end as you said sometimes you can feed that back into the platform and you can enhance the platform like that, and you can further it and make it better. Yeah, exactly. So, for instance, 80% of my open source, you know, attempts and projects are just because I got asked, you know, by five different clients about that in one point of yeah. time. I say, instead, you know, re-implementing it over and over again, I will just open source the whole thing. And it's easier to, for me to document this, and this is in one place. And if someone directly would like to use it, just go for it. But uh, I think it is, if you are reasonable, this is the way to go, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, just, you know get the idea for from consulting and uh, ex extract the ideas and what's uh, what's interesting just apply it to a product i would say this would be the right strategy mm -hmm. don't do everything just you know whatever uh, uh suits the uh, suits the product best and uh, mm -hmm. any client specific uh, uh extensions uh, i would maintain in branch whatever but then they have to pay for it of course right yeah perfect makes sense so where people can find you on the internet um, depends on what they want to find. They can find smart access solutions if they need uh, to manage lots of uh, electronic locks uh, under smart-access-solutions.com. Yeah. And they can find DukeScript, which is more likely uh, <laughs> that they would look for that uh, yeah. under dukescript.com. And are you on Twitter? I'm on Twitter. I'm, my name is Monaco Tony. Monaco Tony. Okay, very good. So uh, anything to add, to add? So I think we covered a lot of ground, right? Yes, I think so. Um, no. Uh, enjoy developing Java. Yeah. Don't do too much JavaScript. No, uh, I'm, I'm actually doing a lot of uh, Java in the backend and uh, yeah. just JavaScript in the front end. But with your solution, yeah. would be not a different. This is what I thought the whole talk about that. So yeah. uh, I do a lot of web components on custom elements. Actually, we are killing frameworks in the in the front end. But mm -hmm. uh, what cool. we are killing is stuff which who no one needs. You know, I mean, dependency injection modules or whatever. And yeah. um, and uh, with your solutions, we perfectly fit because this is whether I put on my component data bind attribute or not. I don't care. This is not intrusive. Yes. And if the developers choose, you know, to use type safe presenters with unit tests, even better. So I, I would say. This is this is not like DukeScript is for me not a, like a framework, more like I uh, how to call it. This is hard to tell, right? Because um, it it wouldn't affect my custom elements at all, right? No. Yeah, this is what I mean. Uh, this is just uh, the developer choose you know to to implement the presentation logic somewhere else, which is acceptable to me because the yeah. added value you could explain to me because you would say you know. Uh, you can unit test in Java. We have great, great IDEs. Is what I understand. What I don't understand is if someone you know uses uh, reactive pro programming frameworks to call HTTP endpoint on the backend, and no one knows how it works. So this is for me as okay. <laughs> this is uh, for me as okay. Uh, sorry, uh, you, I don't get it. If you like, do it. But uh, yeah, this is this is yeah. the distinction. So for me, the added value is there, and yeah. Perfect. Okay, cool. So I'm um, happy that you like it. Yeah. Thank you, and uh, see you next time. Thank you very much for having me.